Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? It's Mark Marin. This is What the Fuck. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I got to be honest with you. I am strung out, wasted, hungry, nervous, anxious, full of panic. I can't even believe it what I've been going through the last couple of weeks. I have been going nonstop. Right now, I am looking at the Empire State Building from a hotel room down in the Meatpacking District of New York City. I was just in Portland last week, and I got to say... That live what the fuck that we did in Portland was spectacular. It was not only a great show, but it was an event in my life that I won't forget. I actually feel a little choked up. Like I, I'm also very raw because I'm just, I'm just not sleeping. I've just been going nonstop. We did the Bridgetown Comedy Fest. It was great. But the live what the fuck, I mean, it packed out. It was 6 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. All you guys came. Uh, and people who didn't know what they were going to see came. We had a spectacular show. But the fans, I mean, you what the fuckers. Let me tell you, man. I mean, so, so great. Uh, you know, and after the show, I got to meet a lot of you. Some of you brought me homemade sourdough bread. I got some cat toys. I got a cigar. I got uh what else did I get? I got a, a Nerdcock donut. I got um I I got a lot of love and it's the first time in my life I've actually been able to receive it and I'm so glad you guys appreciate the show. We'll get that up for you pretty soon. I I just uh, overwhelmed with emotion and it was so much fun and everybody was great on the show and I had a tremendous gaffe on stage with Ian Edwards uh where I really looked like a fool. And uh, you know the humility of looking like a fool in front of a room full of packed what the fuckers and having to suck it up and eat it was uh, was really a great moment, believe it or not. So look forward to that. Another thing I want to tell you before I, I, I get to talking about where my head is at right now, I, I am, I'm very tired, but I just booked uh, three shows in the San Francisco area, right in San Francisco at the, uh, at the Purple Onion, which is sort of a historical venue. I'm going to be there May 10th, 11th, and 12th at the Purple Onion in San Francisco. You can't uh, buy tickets online. You can make reservations at 415-956-1653. That's for the Purple Onion, May 10th, 11th, and 12th. I want to work out some stuff. I want to put an hour together. I'd love you to come down. Uh, the, the website's a little odd. It's uh, Macaroni. Dot com and you can get to the purple onion from there i guess that's it's a a guy who owns the properties there's a couple restaurants but it's c a f f e m a c a r o n i dot com for the purple onion shows may 10th 11th and 12th in san francisco uh I, just me and i'd love for you to come out it's a small venue it'll be intimate it'll be fun that aside today on the show we have steve pearl uh, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Steve Pearl and about San Francisco, because that's where I did the interview. I interviewed him the same week I did Robin Williams. And uh, I'm so happy that you guys like that Robin Williams interview because I was nervous about it. I, I didn't know what I was getting into. And boy, did we get a good conversation with him. Uh, just low key, intimate, honest, open. Uh, and, and it was really a, a heartwarming experience for me. He's such a nice guy. And I'm glad you enjoyed that. But let's deal with the present because I'm about to go out of my fucking mind. 
I mean, I, I have not slept. I mean, I left Portland on the Sunday at six in the morning. I got to New York. I stayed at a shitty hotel because I, I, I went on Priceline. I don't know how many times I got to learn this goddamn lesson. If I'm going to get on Priceline and I'm going to go to a major city and I'm going to get the cheapest hotel, I'm going to be in a hostel. You know, and it's, uh, yeah, I've already got fears of bed bugs. Certainly I wasn't in a place where I had to share a bathroom. Not that I have anything against that, but I think I'm beyond the age where I need to be, you know, waiting in the hallway for a fucking toilet, but they had no phones in the room. The room was the size of a, of a closet. The internet was bad, but like I've gotten into this place where I believe I can tolerate just about anything. And I don't think it's any sort of Zen. I just think that after a certain point, when you're tremendously uncomfortable, you have to just say, all right, it's fine if my feet hang off the bed. It's fine if I don't trust a hotel that I have to carry my computer with me. You know, I can live through this. I can get through this. I do not have to fester about it. And this happens a lot. Like if I'm on the subway or if I'm in a, uh, you know, waiting in line or, you know, things just aren't working out the way I want. My, my old behavior really was this like to, especially if someone else is there, this is also a good, uh, a, a good bit of wisdom. Try to go places that are frustrating alone, because if there's someone else there, if you can start throwing a shit fit and have witnesses, then you're going to do that. That's my experience. And I'm, I'm not saying that you need to, to not invite people to go with you, but just realize that, that a lot of times when you're losing your shit, it's because you got someone there to lose your shit on or lose your shit in front of but lately, I just locked down, and I think it has something to do with having done morning radio for a couple of years, where you just realize, like, I've got no sleep, I'm about to lose my fucking mind, and I've got to do this. That got me into the zen. Also, uh, thinking I was going to die on cocaine. I, there were, I remember back in the day, there were many nights where I'd be just sitting in my bed, listening to my heart pound, saying, dude, just lock in. You're going to ride this out. The worst that can happen is you die, but that might not happen. So do not panic. Do not make it worse. Stay in it and realize that it will pass. So why am I freaking out about my fucking shoes? I can't let this go, folks. And I, I think I've got some sort of solution. I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's more important things in the world to be worried about. And I know that uh, things aren't great. But I tell you, man, I mean, when I start losing my mind, I've been on four and a half hours sleep a night for the past fucking week and I'm not eating right. And, you know, things are starting to break apart around the sides. You know, you know, when you get exhausted and you start seeing elves and goblins, you know, just outside of your periphery, some sort of weird vibration is happening outside, you know, just at the edge of your eye, just at the edge of your periphery. And you're like, what is happening? Is it closing in? Is this the beginning of the light I'm to see at the end? I don't know, but I find that it seems that what I do, instead of panic now, instead of freak out, instead of get angry, is lock in on something I'm obsessed about like a fucking pit bull. I mean, I was brought up with no emotional boundaries in the house. Everything was, you know, enmeshed and connected and nobody had a sense of self or identity. No one, there was no discipline. There was no uh, real uh, you know, parenting. And I really think that the reason I obsess is because it focuses me. And sometimes those are good obsessions like this show. And sometimes they're bad obsessions like whether or not my boots fit or cocaine. I talked about my red wing boots that I loved. I loved them. I bought a pair of the Gentleman Travelers and Ox, Oxblood, loved them, wore the hell out of them already. So then I bought another exact same pair of shoes. 
Now, what's happening with me now, I, I had a glorious moment when I bought these boots where you're sitting, you're, you're standing in the stu- shoe store and you're like, holy shit, my life's going to be okay with these boots. Everything makes sense. I get to bring them into the Red Wing store whenever I want. They're going to polish them. They're going to oil them up. They're going to fix whatever needs to be fixed. If it's manufacturing, they're going to they're gonna fix it for nothing. I'm going to have a lifetime relationship with my Red Wing guy. You know, I, I, you know, I really built an entire belief system around these fucking boots. And I got to be honest with you, I'm a few weeks into this pair and the new pair, and I don't think they fit right. I don't think they're the right size. I know this seems like a minor problem. And, and I know that, that you're like, you know, dude, get over it. But I spent, you know, $500 on two pairs of those boots. And then I got the third one for free and I love them and I love the way they look. And I'm very committed to these boots, but I'm walking around now and they feel a little big. I should have bought them a little tighter. So now all I can fucking think about is whether or not these shoes were a bad decision because it's not just a bad decision. It's me being impulsive and not really thinking about making the purchase that I made. But now I've invested with the, in the company, in the boot. I've invested money. And now I, I, I feel my feet just moving around in the boots. They're, they're not hurting. They're not rubbing on anything. I guess it's fine. But because everything is in chaos and there's a lot of things going on in my life, what my brain does is like... Find an obsession, and if, and if it can make you hate you, all the better. So now these wonderful things that I bought that I thought were great are now just like at the base of my being right now. All I'm doing is thinking about my fucking feet and whether or not they fit right. That I'm completely consumed with it. Like It's almost like it's become my religion. Like it's become my God and the determinant of my faith is based on the space between the heel of my foot and the back of my boot and the space between the side of my foot and the side of my boot and whether that's going to be okay. And I had this, you know, and I I still believe in the shoe that I will tell you honestly, because I know what's going to happen. This has happened once to me before. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I bought a pair of shoes that I love. They didn't fit right. You know, I had them for a few weeks and I, I just kept obsessing about it. And I, I got angry and I was like, fuck it. And I went out and bought the same pair of shoes in another size and they didn't fit right either. So there they are just sitting there in my closet. They might as well be talking. They might as well be saying, hey, asshole, you maybe, maybe you should have thought this through. You know, all boots are for everybody. So now I've got these boots on my feet that are basically as I walk saying, uh, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. It's not our fault. We're a good boot, but you didn't think it through. So now, you know, we're being dragged along by you and your bad disposition because you didn't think it through. So now I've got little fucking haters on my feet. They're just hating me. And I know they're good boots. And I know it's not their fault, but I also know what's going to happen. I'm going to give these to a friend and then I'm going to go out and buy a whole new set because I love the boots and I'm just going to have to live with that. But I cannot just put them in my closet and have them sit there, you know, a, a mistake of, uh, you know, a beautifully crafted mistake, a beautiful American-made, lifetime guaranteed set of mistakes in my closet. No, I will pass them along, perhaps try to sell them. Hey, by the way, any of you what the fuckers want my boots? I got a good deal on two pairs of almost brand new Red Wing boots. They'll fit a, a just, uh, I think, a little bigger than a size 12 foot. My, I think my foot is 12 and you have to buy uh, at least a size smaller in Red Wing, but I'm thinking I need to get a 10 and a half. Anyways, this is where I'm at today and I'm exhausted and I love you all. Now let's get to Steve Pearl. You know, as a creative person, as a comic, uh, when I was young and I was at the comedy store, Steve Pearl was, was there. He was, a, he was working at the store then as a comic and he was a, a legend 
in San Francisco. Uh, I didn't know that when I met him. When I met him, he was like he was one of these guys. I know that creative people do this, and I know that regular people do this. There, there are certain people you meet in your life that just make you, you know, you, 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 see, you think they do it so right on that you think, why should I even bother doing stand-up comedy? I'm not going to be as fast as this guy. This guy just entertained the shit out of me, and I was so amazed at the pace of his brain and how quickly, and the references and the anger and the uh, the the rapid fireness. Like you know, you could be in a car with this guy, and I was just it was just baffling to me. And it's much like uh, Robin uh, does, and it's also much like Greg Proops does, and much like the late Warren Thomas did. But you know what they all those comics have in common is they all watch Steve Pearl. They all watched Steve Pearl work in San Francisco in the late 70s, back when there was a scene at the Holy City Zoo. I've, there's very few people that I, I never you know, forget and that always, you know, when I think back about you know, having time with Pearl when I was 22 years old, 23 years old, and just you know, hanging out with him and having this, this riff monster in your presence, it was just sort of like, you know, I get it with proof sometimes too. It's like, I'm never going to be that fast. It's like Butch and Sundance. I don't know. It's like there's part of me that thinks like I should be able to do that as opposed to just say I am who I am. I do what I do. I like what I do. I don't have to judge myself against everybody. Not everybody is an indicator that I'm doing something badly except my boots. They are no doubt. But literally, Steve was one of those guys that I was it wasn't even a matter of jealousy. It was just that like I'm just never going to be that fast. And that, you know, that lyrical. And nobody knows who Steve Pearl is. But I'll tell you what, Steve Pearl is the, is the demon seed at the core of the style that Greg Proops does, that Warren Thomas does, that you know, uh, I think even Tom Kenny to a degree back in the day definitely influenced Robin. You know, Robin talked about him on his podcast. And I, I was just thrilled to find him. I thought he'd fallen off the face of the earth. When I knew him, he was very bitter. Uh, he was angry, but I liked that angry riffing and, uh, and, and, and he was just inspired. And so when I heard he was back in San Francisco, I was like, I got to track this fucker down. And, and only because I just loved to watch him go. So I had a conversation with him and I wanted to put him into perspective for you. He's a guy I respect a great deal. And, and he's a guy, you know, as crazy as he is. Uh, I love him, and uh, and also he's a guy that had a profound influence on uh, on major stand-ups and, and stand-up in general, and he's just an unsung hero. So I really hope that you enjoy this t- interview. I guess you could call it that. I didn't get a word in, uh, but enjoy Steve Pearl. A, it's a podcast and you can get it on iTunes for free and a lot of people listen to it and okay. uh, a lot of comedy fans and regular people and they just uh, I've become sort of hung up with it there's like 60 some odd episodes up okay. there are we on the air now is that where sure. you're talking to the mic okay yeah we're doing it look man this, I, I man. didn't want to waste any time you look, look well man oh, thank you I'm being I'm in a great city and I'm being well loved and things are going incredibly well I even uh, quit smoking cigarettes six months ago get the How fuck about out that? of here not a, not a one not a, not one. a one and not you a get, one. and you got rid of the blue blazer the what the blue blazer I don't know if it would fit anymore but <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting fed well as you can see but uh, yeah <laughs> oh don't make fun of that oh <laughs> Yeah, I remember. 18 years in the ground for Sam. Yo, ho, ho, and a bundle of Coke. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the old days, man. Oh, the, the so way I'm, old days, yeah. I'm glad you're happy. I uh, happy. I seem to have lost touch with you. My guest in... Uh, How about in you? The, you happy? 
Contend. I'm getting there. I'm good. getting there. Getting there. Good. I mean, I, you know, I was sort of there was part of me that once I found out that you lived here, I was like, you know, well, I I hope he's miserable and dark and bitter and full of hate. No, I got out of L.A. Why would I be there? The, the horns came off the head. The three sixes went away. So go to any comic at the comedy store. You'll find three twelves and four horns. So as, as we call it, Aunt Mitzi's hole. <laughs> An was, evil place. Even Dick Cheney wouldn't even go was, there. Was, oh, it's too dark for me. I was there last night. Why? I go there and I work because I don't, oh, really? don't want to go to the improv. And they finally put my fucking name on the wall. Oh, so Uncle, once Uncle Bud's house of no eye contact. <laughs> Oh, so I haven't seen you in a movie in a while recently, so we're not friends anymore. Never trust a Jew with a monocle. That's what I say. I'm waiting for him to die so I can play Howie's place in Lake Tahoe. <laughs> I, I don't think transport. he has anything to do with it anymore. I think you know, that, that room he does, so that's and, why oh, I'm playing there. So yeah, so I go, I, I, uh, Facebook, remember, is Bud dead yet? I yeah. want to play there. I, I, go, I went to the store last night and actually sat on stage to the people there because I went on early, and I just go there to work out. Like, I don't have anything invested in anymore. I, it doesn't creep me out anymore, but there was a moment where I was at the store. I said, you don't realize this place was never fun. This is not a fun place. Well, it Never. was always dark, and there was always. Well, in the in the day, there would be. It might be evil, but there was something gonna. Something was gonna happen that night. Oh, something, something would going, happen. Especially when in the Sam day, so it might have been ugly and horrible, but something was gonna happen. Right, right. And I said, uh, this place is like uh, it's a serial killer with a clown's makeup on. Pretty it's, much, it's, yeah. It's it's, it's the uh, the structural uh, personification of uh, John Wayne well, Casey. It's, it's black it? and red. The school colors of hell. That should tell you something right there. <laughs> <laughs> you look on the list of some of the names on all Charles Manson, David Berger. <laughs> Steve Pearl is my guest, and I I'm so glad I tracked you down because uh, I'm not hard to find. You were kind of hard to find for a while. Oh, really? All you need is a copy of Catcher in the Rye, you know, yeah, or the sequel Shortstop and the Pumpernickel. <laughs> He wrote the assassin that had low self-esteem and he threw a rock at Pete Best. But that's another story. <laughs> no, is that true? Yeah, no. I, no, I, how would I know? <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I met you, you see, you're back here. After, but you disappeared for a while. That was my point. I remember seeing you at the comedy store. I don't remember. My years get blurry after I left because I met you in 1987. 87, yeah. right? And when I came out there and got lost in about a year. Yeah. And that was the Sam Kennison period. But you had been uh, a mythological, not a mythological, but a mythic character in the Bay Area years yeah. before. Yeah. See, oh. I've mentioned you so many times on the podcast because I think you're one of the funniest guys Thank ever. Thank you. Then two bucks will get me on the bus, but I appreciate that. I'll uh, give you the two bucks. Oh, I'll, I'll, take, the two bucks. I'll take you two bucks. I'll, tell you, I'll give you the two bucks. equal to 70000 in Canada. There's <laughs> this guy in the orange $19 bill. Why? He won a chicken wing eating contest in the 30s. Eh? He can throw up further than anyone else in Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> you said some of the fun, you said things there was a couple of things you said that I never forgot ever because you were living with Kravitz and I was doing blow all night and I'd come over to your house Weren't to relax. We all, yeah, yeah, good. Right, but you seemed more together with it than I did until I left and then you somehow got sucked into that whole nightmare up at the house with Sam. Mm, a little bit. I, I had my own nightmare. I don't have to have Sam part of it, but uh, I know, you, you resent you part of it. But uh, let's I did, let's just say I did not sleep in 1987, and I did not blink in 1988. So yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were all into that horrible crap, you know. Uh, you I know, know, but I remember when what did you say? In the near okay. unknown, so. because I was living at that house, and Kennison would come over with the uh, with the cast of freaks, and we'd all party. Oh, yeah. Whose bed will I piss on tonight? Yeah. Oh, I got to be mad. Throw the help me throw the furniture out the window. If you're my friend. Oh. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, Sam Kennison, brilliant. Two short screams followed. By by a long screen. Uh, well, I thought he was brilliant at first, <laughs> no, I know. but then you know, then something happened to him. But the, <laughs> I do a bit called "Famous Last Words," yeah. where I have uh, like, "Hey Richie, why is the ground coming up so fast?" Buddy Holly, February third, nineteen fifty nine. Hey, fuck you, Pop Marvin Gaye, April first, nineteen eighty four. And of course, we get to you know, uh, Sacardia cheap skank. I'll steer with my feet. Sam Kennison, April tenth, nineteen ninety. 
a whole bunch of things. Some clubs won't let me do it. That, that's how good the bit is. You, see, you had some great bits, man. But what I, I still gonna, do. Yeah. I know. I'm, I was a star here in three area codes. One time, I remember there was one thing you said. Like there are just these fragments where I went. We went. We walked away around the corner from Kravis's house so I could get some vitamins. I'd been up all night and I bought a packet of those vitamins. Oh yeah, the little, the yeah. And I put them in my hand and I'm like, I don't know what's in there. And I you're like, put you those would, in my nose. Yeah, you know, squish. It's got to be good for yeah, you. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, and and then you said you would pick shards of glass out of a half gram of coke, oh, but yes. you're wondering about the vitamins. Oh, some of the coke had seeds in it. You know, I get it. I get it from the guy selling oranges on the freeway. Oranges and bad coke. Oranges and bad coke. Uh, a dollar for the oranges and two for the eight ball. You got it, man. And then there was one night I said, I said to you, where like, I think I'm doing too much coke. And you go, Why are you shitting pebbles with Satan's face etched on them? <laughs> oh, is that what did I say? I got it. Yeah. I forget what I say. And then the other, a lot of the other guys were, Oh, you forgot. I think I'll use that. Oh, is that, that's happened to you. Yeah, but it. so coming back here to San Francisco, I mean, when were you? Because it's my contention, and I don't know if you can agree with it. I, I don't know how much uh, humility you have, but I believe that you were the seed of of creativity in this scene when was the the high point of the holy city zoo when was that place the place well i got out here um i came out here in early 79 i, I wanted to uh, just get out of new york and i wanted to do stand-up and uh, i didn't have too many friends in new york and people were interested into what i was into so uh which was like smoking a lot of weed and blues which, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, some things never changed anyway uh but now i have a card so you can't pull me over anyway um uh i just i just i came here in early 79 for about three months and I lived at the Ansonia Trans Transient Hotel where you could hear people, the razor blades going against people's wrists in the next room. I can't take it anymore. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, I just started hitting the clubs in the Holy City Zoo. I went there, I don't know, some weeknight, and it was packed. There was a little horrible urine-smelling cabin. I remember it. I, I was there at the end of it, like the final phase. Yeah, but I guess I was there when it was. It had been going for a year or two, whatever, because I think Robin used to play there in, like, 76 or something. I don't even have to ask him. Robin Williams was there. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. But uh, I, I went there one night, and it was packed, and just the energy was amazing. I just you could feel it walking in, and these, you know, it was, I don't know if I think it had open mic or whatever it was. People go on, and some of them were funny. Some of them weren't that funny, but everybody was killing it. I go, I got to try this. So I signed up and I went on and I killed and I go, this is sweet. So and then I found other clubs and I started hitting the zoo and Tony DePaul uh, comic was running it then. And uh, this really slimy guy, John Cantu, who is so he's dead now, but we used to say he had worms in him before he died. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was just a great place to be. And if you were just starting out, it was very friendly to you, you know. And then eventually, I, I think I started the first paid show there. In oh, early really? Eighty one. Yeah, it was like New York night, and me and some other New York comics. Now, who was who was like the the who was here at that time? Okay, uh, back then it was me. Robin would show up. I didn't really get to be. But he was nothing know. yet, right? He was just no, the no, guy. no. He was. Uh, he made it. He got Mark and Mindy was late seventy eight. So I guess he got known like September seventy eight. So he was on TV already and yeah, he, he came was, up no, there. he was big, but he would still, and what I still admire him to this day is as big as he is. He's like the Beatles, man. You, know, you can't get much bigger. I know. Now, so Robin, I'm... which one of you is the drummer for the group right here? <laughs> which one of you joined? Which one of you is the rhythm guitarist? He's like the former president of comedy. Oh, yeah. you know, and, But it was great because he would still come up here, as he still does, and just you know, work out with the guys, man. You know, I told you, as big as he was and big as he is, he still does that. I yeah. think it's great. And when you say so, work out with the guys, see, I it, it's my belief that there was something invented here. There was like you know, some people talk about improv, and now improv has to do with you know many people doing sketches based on things. Oh yeah, we need the was, name of a director, a type of food, and way too much stage time. <laughs> Hello, we're chopped olives. Uh, we uh, we 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 need we need a color red. I heard green. Okay, we we, we need a type of food pizza. I heard sushi. Okay, we need we need a uh, present. President uh, Hardy. I heard McKinley. Okay, now here's our funny comedy sketch for the same things we've been doing. Uh, I can't eat that sushi. It's green. I'm President McKinley. Boo, Don't shoot boo. me. And there's 87 of us, and we split the check, and we live in a tree, and we eat dirt. Exactly. <laughs> but you guys invented this riff-style comedy. Well, that it was, was stand -up. me. 
There's a guy, Mike Pritchard, big guy, yeah, uh, and uh, Jeremy Kramer, who is real fun. Him and Rob were very tight. Um, uh, bu- 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 Kevin Meany, uh, Billy J. Well, because there must have been kids suckling at the teats of Pearl, because I think without you, there's there's really, you know, stylistically, no Warren Thomas, no Greg Proops. Well, I always Pro- said Warren developed a very brilliant comedy style. Mine! So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they called him the Black Pearl. But, uh, yeah. oh, we used to, but we used to have, you know, he was a friend, man. Yeah, he, you guys he, were he friends. Was, he came along a little later. I came out in 79 when these other guys were doing it. And then Warren came around, I think, early 81, something like that. But- and then some other guys. And, but uh, this whole process of the, the 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 sort of riff style where you just you know un- you have to have a certain mind for it, but there's a rhythm to it that you just sort of open the fucking mind up and just fucking go. Well, this place was a lot better than L.A. in in the, the sense that you could make mistakes up here. Nobody would see. Oh, he's not ready now. He's ruined for life. And yeah. He could make mistakes and learn up here because I was horrible when I started. I used to write bits on my hand. Oh, that was no lady. That was my where's my hand wife. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it took me three years to learn how to take the mic out of the stand. Yeah, and yeah. I said, well, you look like you're ready to throw up. And run off stage. No, no, that's my big ending. But uh, <laughs> I kick myself in the back of the head and sing Viva Las Vegas in Turkish. Do you, re- do you remember the time? I swallow that- a bicycle and shit out a sheep. Nobody else can do it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ta-da! Ta-da! Thank you. Wait, where, 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 do you remember the night where it just sort of broke open, where you just put it aside and it just happened? Uh, it might have been like three or four years after I started. I just, I just, it just happened. I don't you just know. Said, Fuck remember, it. You know, it's like when uh, when the Johnny Winter realized he could make a guitar come, or when, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it just you just keep doing it, and then one day, whoa, I can throw the chains off now. I'm free. I can fly into the ionosphere, and it just. <laughs> happened and there were a lot of guys doing it and we all i guess we all influenced each other but it was it was like music in the 60s you know there were just so many good people here you know unknown but just slamming man right, just right. riffing and and we just hung out after hours of course i'll always oh, yeah yeah let's yeah. have a session you know yeah, let's and, talk uh, about my car for eight hours yeah i wonder <laughs> if i can write off this eight ball it counts as a comedy session yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh you know come so up with they, one joke it counts and the, and the holy city zoo sat like 10 people this, i mean they're about yeah about 70 or something but it was great because um it was where everybody went after they played another club or like something. Everybody, or and everybody ended up there, and there was a music club, the Last Day Saloon, right next to it. So there's, you know, good bands would be playing there. You see Gatemouth Brown there, and a bunch of Carlos Santana used to hang out. And, 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 and Jerry Garcia Johnny Winter that. still your you met Jerry Garcia. Yeah, he, how was that? He was, hanging, it was, it was, he, he was alive, so yeah, <laughs> he's very nice. Hey, very nice guy. I met him a couple of times. He's still best friends with Johnny Winter. Yeah, weren't you in Colorado or something? No, I've, I've been through Colorado, but I never. No, but didn't you like? Weren't you living in some other state other than California? No, like, no, never. I mean, I, I thought there was this time where I was like, "Has anyone seen Steve Pearl?" And they were like, "I think he's in Iowa." And I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to find out where Buddy Holly's plane crashed. <laughs> Iowa idiots out wandering around, <laughs> or as we call it in New York, the Gateway to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> did you but, no I, I've always lived in California do you so. remember do you remember those bits you used to do what was the one that, the, the like I still remember like uh, Merv Griffin and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, ooh, that's a who is your new movie Violent Arnold it is oxen packed Merv <laughs> now bend over and I will show you my biggest muscle ooh we'll be back after many commercials <laughs> yeah I will butt fuck you with I, my nipple and kill you I, I still throw that line in now <laughs> yeah, and then. yeah why not do you do, uh, do, you do the tap? best of 86 do you do taps oh, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> who's the president Who's so stout he gets in a bathtub he can't get out? Taft. Who's the cat whose weight's so great his belly button is a state? Taft. Damn right. Oh, fuck. Have you stopped doing stand up at all or you just kept going? No, I never stopped. Hell no, man. That's I'm a junkie. I ain't getting off that, that uh, kick. Uh-uh. Oh. I still do it. I just don't work that much. Nobody's offered. Yeah, well, and, you, it's uh, hard. He's a club owner. Well, if you play chuckles, you can't play chortles. And don't say the word was and don't <laughs> use verbs. People here don't like action words and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I, I, I just did this gig in South Carolina. 
China. Oh, it was yeah. a sweet room. I've been there before. Yeah. But I decided to get political, and I forgot this is a blood red state. Some of right. these people owned Obamas a while ago. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking about Obama. Somebody else a communist bastard. Oh, <laughs> really? Like, what, 10 walkouts there. <laughs> okay, what else do you want to talk about? Okay. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You just, just you know, everything's like, they put the brakes on when you mentioned. Uh, just like I, that. I'm a huge fan of Obama. I approve of what he did. Oh, you can't do that. Quit and making they, me laugh. That's socialism. They, so, and they left? And uh, they, yeah, I got a bunch of walkouts, man. It was like I ran over their dog or something. I just don't understand these idiots. They all shop at Walmart, so they're wearing communist pants. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, yeah. They, they tremendous... Wearing it and doing it is two different things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's some, what, what can you do? Just go go to your little tea party meeting and good luck to you. So you were here, uh, you were here in San Francisco like till what, 82? I was here 83? from, uh, no, no, I was here from, uh, actually I, I, I came out in early 79, scope it out, went back to New York, packed my stuff. You know, save did my you penny. do comedy in New York or not at all? I did it. I did a little bit in New York. I and did it in 77, like, 78, and a little bit in 79. Like Catch, Catch, Catch Rising, Rising Star. Star, I'd wait online all Monday. But so that was the late 70s. So all those, like, you know, Larry David and Seinfeld and Paul Reiser and all those guys were not broken yet. They're, no, they're, I didn't. I didn't know who any of them were, man. But Robin they were there, no, right? It was, this was, uh, I guess I didn't. I went on an amateur night, so I really, I just knew the other amateurs. So, uh, you know, and sometimes I'd kill and sometimes I'd go down the tubes. But uh, the first time I ever did it, I went to school, the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan and um, I there was a there was a when I, right before I graduated in June of 77 they had a talent show and somebody signed me up without telling me no and I was like you're funny you should go on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then uh, I was I was drinking beers and I was a little buzz so they called my name oh, you bastards so <laughs> You know, I'll get you later. But then I went up, and I don't remember what I did, but I killed, and I won. I won the first prize, which to this day I have not received. I think it was like a twenty dollars check and a Big Mac or something. But, Maybe uh, someone listening will will make it even. I don't think anyone's still alive. But uh, but, uh, but it was go wow. This is so I started hitting the clubs in New York. I think if I had bombed that first time, I never would have done it again. I go well, that's not for me. But then I I kill. Well, I know I can kill now. I'll be a star in a year. You know, I'll be on the Teddy Fun Show. The Teddy so, Fun. Show. <laughs> I'll be the king of UHF. <laughs> So, um, and then I started hitting clubs in New York, and it wasn't that easy, but sometimes I do real well. I hit the improv and uh, the catch on comedy on uh, amateur nights. And uh, But I just didn't want to be in New York anymore, and I wanted to be in San Francisco because I went took a trip there in 76. That's another story. But I fell in love with the place, and uh, I, I went there in early 79, checked it out, loved it, went back to New York. And that Halloween of 79, flew back, dropped my suitcase at this apartment I rented with no furniture in it, and hit the Holy City Zoo that night, and that was it, man. And you were so in. I was there from 79, that June 24th, 1987. I packed a U-Haul, moved to L.A. at uh, Kennison's urging after I worked with him up here, and I'll get you into the comedy store, blah, blah, blah. And he did. Right. He lived up to his word. He got me in. He, he forced Missy to see and, me. I had a great right. set. And, I was then you, do you and it was uh, fun for like six years. Did you, uh, did, you, uh, did you honor your part of being his bitch uh, in the agreement? I was, no, I, I danced on the edge of the circle without jumping know, in the circle. Never... No, so I didn't have to stick my head up his ass like Alan Stevens did. And I, was just like, you know, I was just like a kid. I was just running around Oh, yeah, around you, were like living, you were a kid in Crestville. And yeah, and you see. play harmonica. The best Story. I wasn't there, but I heard that yeah. uh, Dangerfield visited him in Vegas. Yeah, and Sam was up all night and sitting in a chair and just sweating and shirtless and his belly sticking out and his mirror lick dry and empty bottles and he just all fucked up. And he goes, "Hey, get a load of Nero." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't beat that. Ding, ding. No more calls. We have a winner. <laughs> get a load of Nero. <laughs> oh, my the, God. That's the King, King Rodney talking. So, now, when you got to, to Los Angeles, I mean, you, I mean, you got pretty... It got weird, man. Remember there's all those porn stars running around? Well, and... I was a king up here, and I go, well, I mean, oh, yeah, I guess I'll have to you know, eat shit again. But thank, people knew I was friends with Sam, so nobody really fucked with me, which was great. So It's like being in prison. Yeah, yeah. He's going to grab Sam's belt loop, and yeah, he might trade you for a pack of cool someday. But, but no, no, I never had a problem with that. I don't think he'd fuck with people he knew would hit him back. So you know. No, I think that's right. I think you probably scared him. He was smarter than Well, I, yeah, and I had a rep from up here, you know, in San Francisco. So I hadn't, I never had a problem with but I just didn't get too close to him because I knew because I saw that gang. With I, it was amazing because this is the big time. Right. It was Hollywood, and, and Sam was ruling the roost and porno stars and strippers and dealers oh, and blah, blah. And I place. thought it was cool. You know, I was indulging myself. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was sweet, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, I just had a good time for quite a while, so and then it stopped being fun. Yeah, and then LA became a living hell. And I know I saw you briefly at some point long after that, and you were just miserable. And oh yeah, I was. And a lot of people have told me, "Man, you sound a lot happier now." You well, you're like a different person. Thank God. I mean, like I don't like I went back there. I couldn't even go into that place for years because it creeped me it's out so horrible, much. Yeah, and then I, I went back, it. and I was sort of like, "Hey, there's the old guys," and you're like, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah I was fuck that, you little that place, man." Yeah, that place was that place was like a coke hangover in itself. So, what about you? Yeah, how about Jack Carter? Jack, how about these beatniks today? Hey, with the bongos and the hair down to the tops of the ears and the sideburns and the beards. What are they, girls? Ah. Jack Carter, Jack Carter. Jack my Carter. mantra sometimes. Jack yeah. Carter, Jack Carter, Jack Carter. Did you ever see those guys when you were growing up? I mean, you're a little older than me. I mean, what, you know, when you watch comedy. Oh, sure. What the I, hell planted in your head? I, well, I, well, when I was a little kid, I remember seeing those guys on Sullivan or whatever. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I always thought there were guys that just funny stuff happened to and they just told you, wow, I wish funny stuff would happen to me that I could do. <laughs> I could be, but then I got older. And then guys like Carlin and Pryor and the hipper guys came along. I go, wow, this is sweet. And, do you remember uh, when Pryor was coming around in, in the late 80s? You know, um, I remember once or twice, and it was like kind of fragile and. Well, weird. the first I didn't. I was I was a late prior bloomer because I you know I saw him in Lady Sings the Blues and Wild in the Streets and all these little goofy movies yeah. and everything, and um, uh, but then when he did that live double album in '79, that was it. I took that out of the library, man, and I just freaked out i was like there's not too many things make me laugh till i'm hurting myself that was a live in concert from the movie oh too, yeah right? yeah and then i saw the movie this oh, is man. amazing and yeah i was a diehard fan since then and then my first week at the comedy store ever in 87 i had to follow him three times in one week in the main room i think mitzi was like, let's see how gary really is <laughs> and the first time i went down in flames and he was starting to get sick then but he was still you know yeah 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 i remember and then the second time I went up, I go, oh, I opened with, oh, I feel like Pat Boone following Hendrix at Woodstock. And then I, I had him, and then I did well. And then the third time I destroyed, because I just kind of knew what avenue to take to you know, get him on my side and then let him ride my wave. Sure. But, uh, you know, it was just, like, oh, I'm in a real school now, boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to the big time. Yeah. Did, uh, did now, so you left L.A. when? 90? I left L.A. No, I left the last April. I uh, I wish I left in '90. I uh, uh, I, I, I how do I say it? There was a young lady who back then in the '80s was one of many, but she was a sweetheart, mm. and uh, she was 19, and I was a dirty old man of 31. And how old uh, are you now? Now uh, I'm 32. Okay, and, <laughs> 54, 54. And um, I wondered. I lost contact with her in '88 or so, and. I just wondered because he was such a sweet person. I just man, I, I never was she down in that. L.A. No, she stayed up here. Okay, and I had no idea where she was. And then finally, I, I found 
someone with her name on the internet. And there was a phone number, and I called the number, and some Mexican guy, and, hey, hello, what do you want me? I'll go, can I hang up? I go, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She's married to a teamster. Yeah. And then I go, wait a minute, there was an address there, so I'm going to send I'm gonna send a letter. I'm either going to get my ass kicked or nothing's going to happen. But I said, this is the first letter I've written, you know, and <laughs> he says, I got a computer. So I mail it, and then two days later, I hear from her. There's a message on my phone, hi, this is Nina, how you doing? Whoa, so I called her up, and we just picked up where we left off. So Holy a couple shit. weeks later, I came up here. With a twenty-year break, or how with long? Twenty-two-year break. I hadn't seen her since eighty-eight, and uh, what was it? Uh, and now you've got love in your 20. life. And we just picked up, and I moved. I just I stayed with her for two weeks. Everything worked out amazing. So I went to L.A. I packed everything I could, put the rest in storage, said bye bye. So I came back up here, and I've been very happy ever since. And you know, getting some. That's and fucking sweet. I'm going to marry her once a certain affair is taken care of back east. In fact, I came up here two years ago to do a gig. First time I've been here in like. 20 years or so, and I drove by my old apartment, and I thought about the times we had there. I go, where is she, man? Where is she? Oh, and then I found her. And then a sweet uh, story. She's the best. And then, yeah, we, we would have thunk. And then, uh, in fact, one day we went to the old apartment just, like, made out outside of it. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> we, we do not want to break in. and you know, full circle? Yeah, closure. I was living here now. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, man. I feel like I've come home again. You know, I never felt home in New York, and I don't want to live in L.A. anymore. It's a sewer. I got well, tired of hearing you with the red bandana. Drop the gun. You. <laughs> we're, we're the official bird of L.A. is the police helicopter and just other reasons. But uh, I just I feel, ah, 415, safe. Yeah. So well, everything's fucking, amazing, I, man. So, I'm happy you're happy. So do you ever go by the Holy City Zoo? Is oh, yeah, I, I have. Uh, uh, it's, now, now? it's now the Dirty Trick Saloon, and I went there, uh, God, about six, eight months ago, something like that, and there's a you know, kid working there in the late afternoon. And the kid didn't even know what, it, what the place used to be. And I told him it was all cleaned up. And there's a pool table with the stages. And wow, man. Yeah. The, the urine the smell day. is gone, but so is the magic. So, but I told Places him, are man, magic, aren't they? But I told the zoo, this place, it was like the Fillmore East for comedians. Yeah. More, and and was, the kid was like, the Fillmore what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just told him, you know, Sam Kennison played here, Robert Williams. Blah, didn't blah. you see Hendrix? Yeah, I saw him uh, in Madison Square Garden in May of 69. There's a little clip of that on YouTube, by the way, now. So, of him so we, playing uh, or of yeah. you being there? No, no, no. no the, the young riff. You were in the audience like, oh, look at him. Well, it's, it's the first, it was the first time I ever took acid. I was in the eighth grade and uh, with my friend Richard Cascardi. <laughs> we saw Jimi Hendrix, man. And we didn't even know what acid did. We never done any, I didn't even smoke pot, I think. But this was, and I was 13. I was in the eighth grade. And uh, we took it. Oh, man, started hitting just as Jimmy came on. And I remember my friend Richard's going, man, we're going to be like this forever. And I'm going, <laughs> Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> and all I remember is it was like it was. I just was reminded of a UFO fight in space. <laughs> and we had school the next day. Oh, Richard didn't show up, and I kind of crawled in, crackled. <laughs> you know, and they, Are you okay? I don't think so. I, I learned everything in the world last night. You can't teach me. Anything. So they sent me home. <laughs> I go, I've seen the answer. <laughs> I've seen the. Answer. I've seen the answer. I've heard it and seen it, and it sure ain't at Woodmere Junior High School North. You fucking squares. Woodmere, yeah. Long Island. Yep. That's hilarious. That's where I grew up. And, did, I hope I and what about, uh, did you see Dwayne Allman too? Yeah, so at Fillmore East, March 12, 1971. It was, uh, it was the Ellen Bishop group with the Pointer Sisters backing him up on vocals. The Allman brothers recording their live album, and they were barely known. And then Johnny went around with Rick Derringer, and that's for $5.50. Go, whoa, man. And uh, I remember Dwayne coming out there, and I just remember thinking, hey, it's Opie from the Andy Griffith Show, and he's a hippie. Look, he's in red hair. This <laughs> all Allman brothers there. We're recording our third album here tonight. <laughs> And then I go, oh, and I forgot. Oh, yeah, Johnny's coming on after this because <laughs> I was so. They, they, that was the, the live at the Fillmore East album. Yeah, yeah. The one I just listened to in the car yeah, in, in, there, in your honor, so I could try I to was there get up to weekend. speed. I know and, I wouldn't yeah. be able to say much, but I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to at least be right in the right frame I'm of mind. I'm trying to give you five hours in like one. So, but uh, <laughs> no, I was there. I mean, I still got one picture. I took a Dwayne that night. Uh, it, it's it's on my wall there. So. And who else did you see? 
oh, name them. I saw Rolling Janice. Stones? I saw the Stones like a bunch of times. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, in 72, I saw them. I had won tickets. Every, they had this thing. The garden didn't want people lining up and wrecking the place. So they had, send us postcards. And, and we'll see if, you, if our computer, if our new 1972 computer picks you up. And everyone I knew sent hundreds of postcards. I sent one as a joke, and I won. You know? <laughs> and everyone in town was my best friend all of a sudden. Hey, no. you, hey old pal. Is it like Mick Taylor? It was the best stones that like I ever saw. Like Goathead Soup tour or something? No, it was the, that was a year later. This was the Exile on Main Street tour. Get out of and here. And they were fucking great, man. It was Stevie Wonder, the Stones, and they all jammed at the end. And uh, and uh, it was amazing. I, I sold two tickets. I, I, I won four tickets. And I had to pay for them. I had to go to the guys to pick up your tickets. It was like six fifty, yeah, yeah, twenty six bucks. And then I sold two to a guy I didn't like for four hundred dollars, which was a lot of money to a you know, 16, 17 year old kid back then. And I gave a third one to a friend of mine for nothing, and I went. It was a great fucking show. I still love the color slides they took from that. Night. I can't imagine what that would be because I, I have no sense. Like I didn't pick up like like you're a little older than me, but I just get this feeling like I don't know if I'm a fascist or that you know in the sense of like I can't see how music gets any much better than that. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it was a window open from like I'd say 1965 to 1973, and that closed forever. You know, and a lot of good ones died. But uh, why know. do you think that happened? Because uh, my my theory is is that like you know, so rock and roll was invented basically in 1957, and the further away you get from the center, like that was really the most creative time. Mm-hmm. And then something broke apart, or maybe we're just getting old. I can't figure it out. Well, uh, well, yeah, always had blues and rhythm and blues. That's been around forever, and then it evolved into rock and roll in the mid 50s, which went white boys were doing it. Yeah. Right, white guys got turned on to it, and. And uh, you had great guys in the 50s, Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, all these guys. And it was like later in the 70s with Hendrix and Joplin, everybody dying get around the same time. You had Buddy Holly going down on a plane. You had Eddie Cochran getting killed. Oh, Chuck Berry was in prison. Jerry Lee's career was ruined for marrying his cousin. Just all the good guys. Just And then you had Frankie Avalon and Fabian and that crap. And then luckily the Beatles came along and saved our souls. Do you ever listen and to the Beatles and just go, where the fuck did that come from? I all every time, every time. I mean, I can't even figure. I can't just, figure it out. It's rock and roll, and then touched by God. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I don't even think they knew what they were doing. They were, none of them were trained musicians. Like, it just happened. It was if just, you listen to Revolver, that was delivered by aliens. I don't know where the oh, hell. Oh, Sergeant came from. Pepper, everything, everything, yeah. everything. Where the hell everything. Was that They started from? out as a good rock and roll band, and it could have stopped there. And then, oh, the Beatles, they were a good rock and roll band. Yeah. I remember them, and it just kept going and going. And then they were followed by the Cream and Hendrix and and. Santana and Johnny Winter and all these other, you know, they kicked the doors. So here come the real guys, right? Know, the real army's coming. We ever hear a Who guy? I, the first concert I ever saw was the Who opening for the Doors, August second, nineteen sixty-eight. You and saw Morrison? Yeah, I saw him twice. What was that like? The first time was in '68, and he was great. And I, he was, he was. I think it would, it would have been fun to be Jim Morrison from '66 to '68. After yeah. that, it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> it was like being Kennison. So, but he was, he looked great. He was jumping all over the state. You can hear the concert. It's on YouTube. There's a bad audience recording of both the Who's set and the Doors set on YouTube. But uh, I remember it was a revolving stage. And it, and it broke down when they were facing us. So, you know, and the Who were amazing. I wasn't that familiar with them. I just knew they smashed their instruments, and the drummer was amazing. And they so they were the, they were new. Then. They were yeah. They, it was a year before Tommy came out and before Woodstock. So nobody knew who they were. I was twelve years old. I'd never been to a concert before, and I'm just whoa! I got to get into this. And then. And the doors came out, and I go, whoa, because I never heard anything that dark in my eyes. It was Indian Lake is the scene. You can, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. And then it was like, oh, the dead whore on the ground and peanut butter coming out of her eyes. And he was amazing. And I just remember I got up really close to the stage. He was like where that, Morrison was where that door is, like yeah. 10, 50 feet away. Yeah. And I was just in awe. And I just remember 
thinking two things. I go, I know I like girls, but that guy is really good looking. <laughs> and then looking at Robbie Krieger going, he looks like he's about to cry any second. <laughs> he had that Steve Wright <laughs> yeah. worried look on his face. But I was, whoa. And my father wouldn't let me go to this concert for like, it was at the Singer Bowl. And my father worked for singers, so he got the tickets. But yeah. after I, I've heard about that Morrison, you're not going there. But that's why I want to go. Yeah, yeah. And I told him, look, I love you, Dad, but you can beat me up or punish me, whatever, but I'm going to sneak out of the house and say, okay, I'll take it, but I'll be waiting outside. And, you know, there better not be a riot. And, of course, there was a riot afterwards. <laughs> yeah. He's doing the end. Come on, motherfucker, what you yeah, yeah. Cops are busting heads. And me and my friend Johnny Roberts, who went to the show, we were just walking through. Hey, we're 12. They won't hit us. Yeah, yeah. And nobody bothered us. We got something. My father literally like, grabbed us and threw us in the car. You're not leaving the house again until you're 37. <laughs> of course, he relented. He let me out when I was 35. But uh, it was amazing. And it's like, wow, I got to go to one of these every month. You know? Did you ever see uh, Chuck Berry? Yeah, I saw Chuck a bunch of times. I saw him. If you ever saw that movie, Let the Good Times Roll, yeah. there's uh, something he did with Bo Diddley. At the, there was an oldie show at the Nassau Coliseum. I almost threw up on Bo Diddley once. Oh, did he? Did he was, well, he was playing it. It was at the, the Lone Star in New York, uh-huh. and he was going to be playing there. And I went there, and I was going to meet my friend. I started doing tequila shots, uh-huh. and I'm sitting at the bar right next to Bo Diddley. Uh-huh. And I knew that he used to be a sheriff up in Taos or uh-huh. one of the places in New Mexico, and I grew up there. So I said, uh, I'm from New Mexico. Weren't you sheriff there? I felt the, the chili coming up. And I had to run outside, and I threw up in a cab instead. Okay. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get to see Bo Diddley. Oh, I saw him a couple of times. Well, my friend John Paris, who played with Johnny, was in Bo's band for a while in 99. So, What was the best concert you ever saw? <sighs> oh, God. Seriously, top three. Well, oh, God. Well, I saw... Obviously, the Hendrix one. Oh, God. Well, Hendrix, I barely remember that one because I was so messed up. The Doors and the Who was amazing. Every time I've seen Johnny has been amazing. I saw uh, jo- every time I've seen Johnny jam with Muddy Waters and James Cotton. That was amazing. Those records are good. Those, Those uh, were, oh, what were there? Two or three of them, right? Hard Again. Yeah, and, but there's uh, a live one called Breaking It Up, Breaking It Down. That's the one to get. And then there's a bunch of uh, from the show I was at in New York around there. It's a motherfucker. Man. I listen. I you know the the one Johnny Winter album I go to is before the the real blues. I still listen to Still Alive and Well mm-hmm. a lot. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's like classic seventies rock. Yeah. Well, now uh, his new manager uh, he's had this thing called the Bootleg Series, and there's six of them out now. It's all live stuff from the seventies. And from that killer. period, yeah, it's killer, man. It just they just got all these songs and they splice them together, and that's the stuff to get because nobody can touch them live, man. I Did you ever see Stevie Ray Vaughan? I mi- I never did. I almost did once, and then I. Uh, did you like him? I-, I liked him a lot. Yeah, I thought he was very good, but I I rather listen to Johnny. You know, Stevie was amazing. I really he's he was the real thing. I think he was going to pass the torch from Johnny to Stevie if he lived. Unfortunately, you know, he got killed in that stupid helicopter crash with the, Bill Graham. Yeah, some idiot driver. I don't need the radar. <laughs> <laughs> what do I, I need to see a mountain for? But, I uh, heard Bill Graham like Stevie a lot. Yeah, difficult. But, but Johnny is when it comes to real blues. Johnny. I put Johnny in that category as Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. He is one of those guys. Just a white. You never saw Howlin' Wolf, later. did you? No, I never saw Howlin' Wolf. He, was he dead by that time? Was he? Uh, he probably... died in early '76, so I could have, but yeah. I didn't. I just wasn't. He must have been really... something. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and see a whole bunch of clips of him. He was. Amazing. How about I, Tina Turner? I no, I didn't see no. When I saw the Stones, it was BB King. It wasn't like it was. I saw him in '69. Also, and I saw the Stones at Madison Square Garden, 1981, and James Brown was supposed to open, but he bailed at the last minute. So they pulled Screaming Jay Hawkins out of some, you know, one room studio apartment that he was living in. Uh-huh. And it was the weirdest thing because he clearly, you know, didn't have his act together. Uh-huh. But it was just him with a make do like a pickup band in front of like the lights were still on. Oh, Everyone's yeah. waiting for the Stones, and he's up there with his voodoo stick. <laughs> I saw Screaming Jay Leno once. Yeah, I got a spell on you, man. Got a new car too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my team got away. Uh, Where are you going to be working coming up? Nowhere ever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for work. Not not that much, but uh, I like. I really. 
I don't want to go on the road anymore, man. Or I don't want to live on. I don't know how guys still, you know, my age and older live on the road like that. I just can't do it. I'm just very comfortable here. I can kind of work when I want. Um, Where do you usually work? Up at Pitta's place? Oh, uh, Pitta's place. Does or, he, how long does he let you? What do you do? Like an hour? Oh, no, I wish. I'd love to do an hour there. I, I did why the wouldn't you do an hour? Because there's other comics on the show. That's why. If he wants to give me my own show, I don't see it coming, but I could kick it. Doesn't he do a hour. standard headliner format? Does he have an open No, it's, it's, it's him and I think four other comics and a little oh. break in between. So everybody does about 15, 20. And it's just like rich and, uh, white people with wine. They're good. Well, they're they're It's it's better than talking about Obama in South Carolina. <laughs> no, I know. I had. I, Jew bastard. I was up there once, and I had a great time. I mean, it's a great. room. It's a sweet room. I like. It's great. It. I love that room. And the lady Lucy Mercer, who runs it, is a sweetheart, and everybody's just real nice. And there. it's I always like it. packed. It's always packed. Yeah, it's once they, a week. Uh, yeah. It's. I don't know how it does the rest of the week with the other shows, but the uh, um, the comedy show he does the, it I think every the, week. The, the room sells out. People just want to go and they know yeah, they have it's a good nearby time. Nearby, it's not a good you know, show. So. They can get home it's, before midnight. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it's sweet. Yeah, and they only nice, have to drive three blocks when they're wasted on wine. Yeah, exactly. They can, they can you know, take a rickshaw or whatever. I don't know. But uh, what was the worst stage experience you ever had? Oh God. Okay, let's El Paso, which is the asshole of North America. I yeah. hate that place. And uh, <laughs> I did a gig there, and it was supposed to be a thousand dollars for two nights. Go, okay, I'll do it. I have to take three flights to get there. These guys, well, we'll save a dollar fifty if we put them on three planes. On one of them, there's a hot-looking woman. I was single at the time. And uh, we're talking, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? This is nice. All of a sudden, her cell phone rings. She goes, you, you motherfucker, did you smoke all the crack? I'll fucking kill you when I get home. You punta mala catarabuterra. Lucy. He's like, okay, I don't want to talk to her. So I finally make it to El Paso. And uh, they go, oh, oh, by the way, this the second show was canceled, so we're going to leave 500 on their end. And I had I got there like a day, uh, two days early because the next day I was supposed to do a radio show, and the radio show was canceled. So I'm stuck there for four days. <laughs> and, I, and I'm in this crappy little hotel, and the guy who answers the phones there had a voice box. Oh. I can't do any other job. This is creeping me out. Ah. So I have another Chesterfield. So... Um, <laughs> And, and you couldn't get CBS, so I couldn't watch Letterman at night. Yeah. I, I used to like to watch Letterman. So I, I get to the show. There's only one of them. And uh, I'm, I'm opening for a noise band. So I'm going up What's a noise band? It's just, ah, ah, motherfucker, ah, ah. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the sex pistols you well, know, yeah. after they gargle with a pine, with a yeah. pine cone and a porcupine. So uh, I, I just, I'm just getting yelled at and booed, and people are giving the thumbs down. No matter what I'm doing. So I do So it's like 40 minutes. I did like 20. I don't want to do this shit anymore. So I did like 25 or something. And one of the few times I did not do my time, I just said, fuck this, this is useless. And I get off, and I'm just watching, and then the noise band comes on, and during the first song, they say, da, 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 da. a bottle comes flying, hits him right in the middle of the forehead, knocks him out. <laughs> I go, okay, I'm going back to the room. I got a couple of <laughs> bottles of malt liquor, and call my friends, and, well, I'm stuck here for a few more days, I'll see if I ever get back. <laughs> and they did pay me, and I got, there's nothing to do, and nowhere to go. It was like 150 in the shade. It was just fucking horrible. Yeah. So, El Paso's uh, bad. I, yeah. Who books that room? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have I've not been back there. And now, did you ever, um, did you ever have to leave because it was dangerous? From a um, let me think. I know there have been. I can't think of it right now. You know what? You remember those? Oh movies? yeah, in England, man, in England, I did. Uh, I played this place, and uh, when I went there in '87, there's like three clubs there now. There's like a thousand. Three clubs they there they then. must have liked you in England, no? Uh, some of the show, most of the shows I did really well. I had no problem with them. It was one where they were just. It's called the Tunnel Club, and they were just drunk and rowdy, and and uh, I think my in, and you know the intro. Hey, this guy's an American. So I went up there, and they were just like talking and yelling, and so I go, "Oh fuck you! If it wasn't for us, you'd be going see guy, see guy, get him!" And they 
had to rush me out the back and throw me in a taxi. No shit. Yeah. What do you, what do you think are like, because I mean, in talking about like, I'm not going to talk about anything specific, but like, you know, there are guys that, you know, you influence. There are guys, I think that, you know, you know your voice, you can hear it. You know, I heard a guy the other day, this kid, Eric, I forget his name, but I busted his balls because he, there is a style that I think that you sort of created that is sort of, you know, kept going, you know, through Warren and through Greg. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's rambling and whatever it is, yeah. Right, but there's definitely a rhythm and a pace to it. So, like, my question is, and I've seen it with people who listen to Attell or listen to Todd Berry or listen to uh, 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 Mitch Hedberg, that it's, it's a very strange thing that you don't steal jokes, but you can literally steal someone's drive shaft. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. You know, I could take the whole style and everything. The delivery there some, system. There were some guys that uh, did that. And what can you do? You know, you just, you I know, guess you can't do anything. Not much, you know. Not much. It's, it's like, behind uh, every genius, there's a, there's a guy going, that guy stole my shit. Behind every sitcom star, there's a guy living at a bus station going, he took it from me. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> that was my life yeah. before I got here. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. You sucked the right Did you ages. ever see Lenny Bruce? Oh, I met him when I was 10 years old. I didn't even know who he was at the time. My father saw him. And he told me about it. I oh, never, really? I didn't know he died when I was ten years old. So, oh, was that long but, ago? Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he died in '66, August third. But did that I, have any impact on you? Did you listen to his records? No, did, not until later, not till much later. But I mean, did I mean didn't have any real no, no influence no, on I you? I can't. I unfortunately no. But I did. I did. Well, we came to visit California in the summer of '66, and I was walking along Fisherman's Wharf with my father. We went to L.A. Then we drove up here, and uh, I saw my first hippie in the hay. The guy with I saw a man with hair down to his shoulders in '66. I didn't know what it was. It, and anyway, we're walking, and Professor Irwin Corey uh, was there with a chubby guy with a beard. I think beard. he's still alive. Yeah, he's, he is. He is. And uh, my father goes, oh, Irwin Corey and blah, blah, blah. And he said, Lenny Bruce, I didn't know who he was. And I ran shooking, shaking hands with Lenny. We had a kind of a clammy handshake. It was near the end for him. And uh, I shook hands with Irwin Corey. I go, Daddy, who's he? I didn't know. That's real rude. I didn't know that. And the Irwin Corey said, young man, never say who is he. Say how is he. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I go, I don't like this guy. <laughs> I ended up working with him like in 85 and we got along great. Did you but, tell him uh, that story? I did. He didn't remember. I was never in San Francisco with Lenny. I never. Uh, he, really? He denied everything. Like, I know who I met. Yeah. And my father told me, I didn't even know about Lenny Bruce till years later, uh, maybe like uh, 10, 15 years ago. I asked, I asked my father, I'd be talking about that. He said, oh, that was Lenny Bruce. Go, what? Yeah. I shook hands with Lenny Bruce. Yeah, yes, that's when it went into you, Stephen. Yeah, that's, probably. Uh, something <laughs> dribbled out of his like, withdrawal written hand. Father, my father saw him in 1960 in New York and said he was brilliant and he went to see his show that night. I think he was at some at the Avalon or the film in San Francisco. In San Francisco, yeah. I think the Mothers, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, were the opening band. But I, I have he, that poster. It was at the yeah, Fillmore. Yeah, I have that too. Yeah, the orange, the orange poster. poster. Yeah, he saw that show. He saw that show. And what did he say? And he said he, uh, there was some weird rock band that went on. He didn't know what they were. They were throwing things and yelling. I didn't get. And then Letty came on and mumbled and fell down, and it just sucked. Oh, so, really? Yeah, it was near the end, so he didn't like. It, but he said in '60 he was brilliant. Then did you ever see any of those rock performers or comics that that came up? You know, that like couldn't. Get through their set. I saw Sam a few oh, I know, a couple I know. times. I remember being up at that house, dude. And like, you know, I the the one time that was really profound to me was that remember when he hired that guy to babysit him? And then the, that guy ended up getting high too. And like there was one time where he'd been up for three days up at the house where I live, and he's supposed to play University of Arizona in uh -huh. Tucson at a stadium or an uh -huh. arena. And it was the one time where he couldn't get up. They oh, couldn't okay. get him up. And I just set my brother up who was going to school there, uh -huh. you know, with tickets, you know, backstage, you know, maybe uh, hang out with Sam a little bit. And this is like, you know, five, six thousand seater. 
that he had sold out, and I got to call my brother up and say, he ain't going to make it. Yeah. He's on the floor. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I remember when he missed the Joan Rivers show because he passed out in the hotel or something. That was later, though. I, I oh, Like, you know, nice. once I left L.A., you know, hearing voices in my head and running from a mystical system that yeah. I invented. Uh, Get out of this town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get out of this town. Well, the, one of the last nights I was in L.A. was at your fucking house, sitting there listening to the voices going, how far oh, out yeah. can I go? I and got I heard tired one. of stepping on needles, so I thought oh. I, <laughs> I didn't mind stepping on a spoon, but needles oh. i gotta get oh, out of here oh poor steve yeah so i got my own little place and has anyone died that i need to know about oh, who's died uh the careers i can i can, <laughs> I can see that any day yeah, <laughs> well, you're still alive and you seem like i'm you're still here great. i'm a bull you can't kill me i know buddy i'm still here and things are going great now so i love you nina well steve i love I you and i'm glad you fucking love you too bro Let's go over to, to the tender one. I'll buy you some uh, Indian food. Oh, cool. Let's go to the Chabachyach Inn. <laughs> again? Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> Not that place again. Well, that's it. That's the show. Are you exhausted? Did Stevie Pearl spin you around? God, I was great to see him. And thank you all for listening. If you want anything WTF-related, merchandise, if you want to follow us on Twitter, if you want to email the show, if you want to donate or subscribe to the show uh, with a, 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 little bit of, a little bit of green, a little jack, a little bread, uh, that's always welcome. No pressure. But, you know, trying to make a living. We also, I, I want to encourage you to get on this uh, email update that we're doing. I, I'm writing a weekly update with information about the guests, with uh, you know things that are going on with me, eventually with some special deals, and that'll come to you every week if you get on the mailing list. So I encourage you to do that. There's also links to our sponsors there. JustCoffee.coop has got the WTF blend. Uh, I don't think it's bitter, because I'm not. I just hope it's dark and tasty like I am, and also punchlinemagazine.com. Please go there for any uh, news that you may want uh, about the comedy biz and who's up and what's up and movie reviews, videos, and up-to-date stuff about the comedy industry. And also, please, if you're in San Francisco and you want to come see me, I'm doing three nights at the Purple Onion. Uh, That's a classic venue. It's an intimate venue. I'll be there May 10th, 11th, and 12th. Uh, you cannot buy tickets online. You can make reservations if you call 415-956-1653 or go to www.cafemacaroni.com. That's C-A-F-F-E Macaroni, M-A-C-A-R-O-N-I.com. And you'll be linked to the Purple Onion there. It's the same, uh, same people own it. And I really appreciate all you guys came out in Portland, and I really appreciate all you what the fuckers and what the fuck buddies supporting the show. I, I continue to uh, have a great time doing it, and I continue uh, to uh, to actually build a deeper relationship with you and with myself. And I, I think you're witnessing that, and I, and I think it's a good thing. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, but the ones I have on are definitely are going away. And I'm going to go buy a whole bunch of new Red Wings. Whatever, I love you. See you later.